So we'll read from the Word of God now. We're going to read two passages. The text is Colossians 3, 18 and 19, and that's about wives submitting to husbands and husbands loving their wives. But it is, it's not impossible, but I certainly wasn't going to preach on that text without referring to uh, <clears throat> Ephesians 5, which deals with that whole subject in a much a deeper way. And so we'll read both Ephesians 5, 22 through 23, and then Colossians 3, 18 and 19. And I will be referring to Ephesians 5 as we, um, <clears throat> as we think about Colossians 3, 18 and 19. So Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 22. Um, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold, fa- and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And then turning to Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. This is the word of the Lord. So in our ongoing sermon series on the the book of Colossians, Paul's letter to the Colossians, we have come to this passage in which Paul gives uh, some of God's requirements for various relationships between husbands and wives, between parents and children, and between bond servants and their earthly masters. Today we'll consider uh, what this passage then teaches about the relationship uh, between husbands and wives. Wives, be sub- submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, and husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. The world, of course, considers the biblical man- command for wives to submit to their husbands to be degrading for women. And that's not surprising, of course, because the world is walking in darkness and in ignorance regarding um, what truly belongs to human flourishing. Furthermore, there are many things in the Bible which are quite the opposite of what we might naturally think, even Christians, because of the effect of sin on our thinking. God's call for wives to submit to their husbands is not something that we would naturally think of as a way of flourishing for Christian wives. Because of our sinful nature, we are not inclined to think of submission as a good thing, especially for ourselves. 
The instinct of our fallen human nature is to resist authority, to assert our independence, to grasp for personal freedom, to do as we please. We realize, of course, that we cannot have complete freedom and live together in society, but it's our natural inclination to grasp for as much freedom for ourselves as is possible. And, of course, there is a place for some measure of personal freedom. The Bible certainly does not teach that there's no place for us uh, to make our own decisions about things, the good life As the Bible describes, it includes large areas where we are free to make our own decisions. The only one whose authority is absolute is God, and God's laws give us plenty of room to make our own decisions in many different areas. God did not create us to be puppets, but to be responsible creatures whose goal in life is to use the freedom that he gives us in ways that glorify him and contribute to the fullness of life for ourselves and for others. But freedom, uh, subject, submission to authority is an important theme in the lives that God is calling to live. And submission to legitimate authority belongs to the freedom that we have, that we receive in salvation. In salvation, we are set free from the power of sin. And thus freedom, as the Bible understands it, is freedom to obey God's laws. In biblical terms, sin is slavery and obedience is freedom. To be truly free in biblical terms is to submit to God's laws freely and gladly because we love God and because we love his character as that character is reflected in his laws. An important aspect of biblical freedom is gladly submitting to the authorities that God has placed over us. And that is part of the context in the light of which we must understand Paul's command here that wives submit to their husbands. The submission that God requires here is part of the blessedness of life as God designed it. And it is one of the blessings of salvation, the salvation that Jesus won for us by his defeat over the tyranny of sin. Now, that's not to say that this, this biblical teaching has not been distorted and abused. And that is assumed, actually, here in this passage, the last part of verse 19, which tells husbands not to be harsh with their wives. Husbands have often treated their wives badly. Christian husbands have sometimes used this teaching wrongly to to, to mistreat their wives. Submission has often been understood to mean that husbands can order their wives around and that wives should wait on their husbands hand and foot. Christian husbands have often been harsh with their wives. There's a reason that Paul here commands husbands not to be harsh with their wives. So that's part of the context for understanding the submission of wives to their husband. Whatever it is, and we'll consider that in more detail, 
It's not something that allows husbands to dominate their wives. It's not something that is demeaning to wives. It's not something that allows husbands to use their wives. It's not something that God has ordained in order to give husbands personal servants. It's not something that exists to give for, for the husband's pleasure and ease at the expense of their wives. And one of the keys, of course, to the whole relationship is the fact that husbands are commanded to love their wives. And what that means is spelled out in more detail in Ephesians 5, the passage that we read, and it tells us, verse 25, tells husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So that puts the whole submission thing in a very different perspective than the idea of a wife being dominated by her husband and treated as a personal servant. The kind of love that God is requiring of husbands toward their wives means that husbands are to serve their wives to the extent of giving their lives for them. The love that husbands are to show to their wives is to follow the example of Jesus giving his life for the church. And in Mark 10.45, Jesus speaks of giving his life in terms of service. He says there that he came not to be served, but to, uh, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, husbands, of course, not give their lives as a ransom for their wives. Part, that part is unique to the meaning of Jesus giving his life for us. But the Bible does call us, husbands, to, to love our wives, following the example of Christ in him giving his life for the church. So husbands are to serve their wives by giving their lives for them. Jesus gives another insight into what that looks like in John 13, uh, 1 through 20. And that's the story where, the, where Jesus wipes, uh, washes the feet of his disciples. Verse 14 there, Jesus says to his disciples, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. It's very significant here that Jesus does not think that humbly washing his disciples' feet in any way takes away from his status as their Lord and their teacher. And their teacher. And that is an awesome insight when it comes to understanding the glory of God. One of the most astounding things about God is that his glory includes his willingness to wash his disciples' feet and to serve them by giving his life for them. Jesus is the Lord of glory. He is the radiance of the glory of God, according to Hebrews 1. He is worthy of worship. All things exist by him and for him. He is the preeminent one, and that glory is in no way diminished, but rather enhanced by his willingness to wash his disciples' feet. Now, Ephesians 5 fills out more what it means for a husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Verses uh, 
26 and 27 of Ephesians 5 says that the love of Christ and his giving of his life for the church was, quote, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So Jesus' love for his church moved him, moves him to make her holy, to make her beautiful. Christ is at work in his church to save her from her sin and then to enable her to live beautiful lives to the glory of God. Now what we always need to remember about this is that Jesus' work of delivering us from sin is about enabling us to live life as it was meant to be lived. And so Jesus' work in freeing us from sin and making us holy is about enabling us to live lives that are pleasing to God, and lives that are pleasing to God are always full and satisfying lives. The wonderful thing about living the life that is pleasing to God is that such a life is always rich and satisfying and rewarding to us. And so when Jesus worked in his church to make her more and more holy, that is so that she will be more and more pleasing to God, but that is also that she will, be more, that she will live a more and more blessed life, that she will experience more and more blessedness in life. So Jesus is telling husbands to love their wives following, or Paul rather is telling husbands to love their wives following Jesus example here. And again, we have to understand that husbands cannot do for their wives everything that Christ does for the church. Husbands cannot save their wives from sin. Husbands do not have the power to renew the hearts of their wives. Husbands are sinners alongside of their wives, and so they are also part of the church that Jesus is making holy and without blemish. And Perhaps most importantly, although that's not literally true, but anyway, husbands are not sinless like Jesus. They're not like Jesus who, Jesus, from his position of sinlessness, is at work making a sinful church holy. So the kind of relationship that the Bible is prescribing here is not that of a sinless husband whose job it is to make his sinful wife holy. That probably will not go over very well if husbands take that attitude toward their wives. I'm holy, and it's my job to fix you, to root out all the sins in your lives. So husbands are not like Christ in every way. And what they are to do in loving their wives is not exactly in every way like the, the love of Christ to his church. But husbands are to follow Christ's example in some ways. And perhaps the most helpful way to think about this is to say that <clears throat> husbands are to give their lives to help their wives to flourish. Because what Jesus is doing for his church to enable her is to enable her to live the most joyful and satisfying life to the glory of God. 
And husbands are to give themselves in love for their wives for the same reason. Later on in Ephesians 5, Paul makes the point that Christ nourishes and cherishes the church and that husbands are to nourish and cherish their wives. So husbands are to help their wives to become more holy. But we have to remember that holiness is much, much more than things like sexual purity and, and personal devotions. Holiness is about all of life. Holiness is about developing and using your gifts to the glory of God. Holiness is the opposite of being stifled. Holiness is about flowering, the flowering of each unique individual to the glory of God. And so it's about human flourishing to the glory of God. Sin is dehumanizing. Holiness is living to the fullness of what God has made us as human beings, uh, made in His image. And to nourish and to encourage that is what it means for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. What Christ is working toward in His church is not a constricting of life, but a flowering and a flourishing of human life. And that's what we are to seek to encourage in our wives. We are to encourage our wives to be all that they can be to the glory of God. Now, we have to be careful here because it's possible to interpret this as a license to nag our wives, to point out all their faults and to call them to repentance every time we see something that is not holy. This command to love our wives as Christ loved the church may not be interpreted as our calling to be correcting our wives all the time. We need to remember that Christ's way of encouraging holiness in the church is very much focused on encouragement, on instruction, and on example. There is a place for correction. But what Jesus mostly does is encourage us to grow in holiness by nurturing our love and our thanksgiving. Husbands must always remember that while we are to follow Christ's example by loving our wives as Christ loved the church, we are not Christ. We are not sinless like he is, and that means that Our wives have a very important role in our sanctification. Our wives are also our sisters in Christ, and so they also are called to correct us when necessary and to encourage our sanctification. But the call here to husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church is about the husband's calling. That's what we're talking about here. And so seeking the wife's Spiritual growth is an important part of what that means. And what I want to make especially clear again is that holiness is about all of life, being all that we can be as unique people made in the image of God, and that involves wives using their gifts, developing their gifts to the glory of God. It it involves encouraging and valuing the wife's contribution to the relationship and to decision-making in the home. The husband has a, has a role of leadership in the home. Loving as Christ loved the church requires sacrificially nurturing the potential of our wives 
to the glory of God and their own fulfillment and joy. There is leadership there, but it is Christ-like leadership which is sacrificial and gentle and wise and gospel-saturated. It is about building up, and it is the opposite of constricting. It is leadership, but it is servant leadership. What does that look like concretely? Thinking about how Christ nourishes the holiness of the church, teaching the word of God, which is the gospel, is at the heart of it. That teaching then will involve family worship and receiving the teaching ministry of the church, but it also involves teaching that happens in our regular conversations about things. A lot of teaching, most teaching probably happens when we are just living life together and discussing things and responding to things in life. And this teaching, of course, will go both ways because we are encouraging our wives to be all that they can be, and we want to encourage and value what they have to teach us as well. But in terms of the husband's role of leadership, the call to Husbands, to love their wives as Christ loved the church involves learning so that you can teach. It involves taking your own spiritual growth seriously, which includes growth in knowledge, biblical knowledge, practical knowledge, so that you can build your wife up in holiness by the way that you talk about things in your day-to-day lives. Loving our wives by encouraging them to flourish to the glory of God involves teaching God's truth in everyday conversation, which is not spouting Bible verses every other sentence, but it's talking about life in the light of biblical truth so that our wives are built up by that formal, uh, informal teaching. And that, of course, will include listening and learning from our wives. But the call here is husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And that gives the husbands extra responsibility in this area. And closely related to this is our example. And the Bible places great significance on example in the whole area of of um, spiritual growth. The Lord Jesus is often presented as our example. Paul spoke about himself as, uh, as an example. Church leaders are called to be examples for the flock. One of the ways that husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church <clears throat> is by living their lives in such a way that it encourages our wives towards holiness. There's a saying that religion is more caught than taught, and that may be somewhat of an overstatement, but nevertheless, there is important biblical truth expressed in it. We influence others for good or ill by our example. So one of the key ways for husbands to love their wives and to nurture their holy flourishing is by being an example of holy flourishing. So the command to husbands to love their wives is a command to nurture them, to encourage them to be that all God has equipped them to be, 
It involves putting our wives before ourselves. It involves sacrifice. It involves nurturing and cherishing. It is the opposite of being selfish. It is seeking the true well-being of our wives in and through the gospel. And that is the context in which the submission of wives is to take place. And that puts the whole matter in its very special biblical light. Of course, that does not take away all the challenges for wives. Christian husbands are flawed in the way in which they live out their love. But still, it makes a huge difference to understand what kind of love God is calling husbands to show to their wives. The kind of relationship that God is looking for is not one of a wife submitting to a husband who is domineering and harsh, but one in which the husband is reflecting Christ's love for his church. Unfortunately, some Christian wives must somehow show submission to their husbands who do not reflect Christ's love for his church very well. I'm not going to get into that because it's a whole subject in itself. But let's just say for now that if that gets to be a real problem, the wife can confront her husband, first of all, and then if necessary, get help, beginning with the church. But let's think about this call for wives to submit to their husbands in a more normal situation where the husband is trying to love his wife as Christ loved the church. What is submission? What does it look like? Well, here's how Douglas Moo puts it in his commentary. He says, it is, submission is to put oneself under the authority or direction of another. It's to put oneself under the authority or direction of another. First of all, it is to acknowledge that God has called husbands to lead. It begins with submitting to the word of God and the clear biblical teaching that it is God's will that husbands take the lead in a marriage relationship. Human beings are all created equal in value and worth. Men and women are equally made in the image of God. Marriage does not change that. There's no difference at all between husbands and wives in terms of status, in terms of significance. But God has instituted authority structures in human relationships for our good. And one of them is in the marriage relationship. The submission of wives to their husbands begins with acknowledging that. But it's more than just acknowledging that, it's loving it. The result of salvation is that we begin to love God's law, to delight in it. We submit to God's law, not grudgingly, but enthusiastically, because we come to see that God's law is about the best possible way for human beings to live and to flourish. Salvation would not be such a glorious thing if it meant that, that we now follow God's law grudgingly. Salvation is about living life to the full. And so the submission of wives to their husbands includes enthusiasm for this arrangement. And that means wanting the husband to lead. Christian wives love the God-ordained 
relationship between husbands and wives. They will want to be led by a loving husband. They will want their husband to step up to their God-given responsibility and to provide loving leadership for their wives. They will want husbands who are serious about their own Christian lives and who study the Word of God and who are engaged in the life of the church so that they equip themselves to provide godly leadership. They will want their husbands to make decisions, not about every little detail, but about the big things that determine the Christian character of the home. Submitting to leadership does not mean having nothing to say. It does not mean that decisions are made by husbands without any input from their wives. But submission does mean that the wife is looking to the husband to be the leader and to make those big decisions. In actual practice, I think you will all agree, those of you who are married or who observe good marriages, a husband is loving his wife, and the wife is gladly submitting to her husband, and all of that is so natural that it's hardly noticed. Life is discussed. Decisions are discussed, but in the end, it's the husband says, okay, we'll do it that way. And again, leadership does not mean micromanaging every detail of everything that happens. Husbands loving their wives means giving them plenty of space to make decisions within the context of the overall submission of the couple to Christ. One thing here that is very significant is that the command to submit is addressed to wives. The command comes from God to wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands. The command does not come to husbands to make their wives submit. It is interesting that the command to husband is not even directly to lead, but to love. So the submission here of wives to their husbands is, first of all, the response of a wife to God. It's very beautiful in Ephesians 5, where it says in verse 24, Now, As the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. The submission of the church to Christ is a glad submission motivated by love and thanksgiving. It is a thank offering. The submission of Christian wives to their husbands is in the first place an offering to Christ. And then a voluntary offering to their husbands. The emphasis from the way the command is structured is that the submission is given by the wife rather than demanded from the husband. And it is given as a response of love, first to the love of Christ, but then also to the love of the husband as the church responds to the love of Christ. The text says that this is fitting in the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. The phrase in the Lord simply describes what it means to be a Christian. All Christians are in the Lord. We are united to Christ. We are one with him. The word fitting here seems to be related to the biblical wisdom tradition 
which has to do with how the world works, how God designed the world to work. Wisdom is about living in harmony with the way that God created the world and designed it to work. The book of Colossians has a fair bit to say about wisdom in relationship to Jesus Christ. For instance, in chapter 2, verse 3, it says that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. And so, a few verses later, Paul, by saying that it is fitting in the Lord for wives to submit to their husbands, is to say that this is in harmony with the way that the marriage relationship is designed to work. That is given here as an encouragement for wives to submit to their husband. It fits God's design. It belongs to the way that God has designed for marriage to flourish. It belongs to the life lived in union with Christ in the Lord. So husbands are to love their wives and wives are to submit to their husbands. This belongs to the life that belongs to salvation in Christ. All of these commands about the Christian life are rooted in the exposition of salvation in Christ that Paul has expounded in the first part of this letter. And so it belongs to walking in Christ, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. That's 2.7. This belongs to the life that flows from having died with Christ and having been raised with him. That's a high calling. To love our wives as Christ loved the church is a great responsibility. To submit to our husbands as the church submits to Christ is not an easy matter. Thankfully, we strive to grow in faithfulness as those who are in Christ, in the Lord. Our sins are forgiven. Christ's righteousness is ours. We are embraced in love For Jesus' sake, and in the confidence of being embraced in God's love and favor, and in the knowledge that the power of Christ through his Spirit is working in us, that those of us who are married delight in the vision for the marriage relationship that God is calling us to, and seek by God's grace to embody it more and more fully. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, <clears throat> for the wonderful way in which these twin commands relate to your relationship to us, the relationship between Christ and the church, and how they in various ways embody the gospel. We glorify you for your love, Lord Jesus, to the church, and for all that you have given so that the church might be holy, so that the church might grow towards fullness of life and true flourishing. And we thank you for that as an as a example for husbands. Although we acknowledge, Father, that that is a very difficult example to compare ourselves to. And we pray that we would not be crushed by despair of how far, far short we come, but that we may be encouraged in the gospel and encouraged by the beauty of what 
you are doing and what you are calling us to do. And for wives, Lord, help them. Our worldly context makes it seem that submitting to husbands is demeaning. Lord, we pray that your word would abuse us of that satanic conviction, help us to see the beauty of submission in this relationship, but in all the different relationships in which we are called to submit. Help us to see how human flourishing comes through submitting, first of all, to your authority, but then to all the different authorities that you place over us. Bless your word to us, we pray. Use it to encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen.